Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Hello, this is Kirk Gray. And this is Fred Shankelberg. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. Hey, I got it. We got a question the other day and, and I hesitated bringing it up to you, but then we started chatting about it and I said, oh, wait a sec, wait a sec, let's hit record. So the question was around accelerated life testing. And one of the ways to do accelerated life testing is usually you have to know what the failure mechanism is. It might be cracking, it might be this or it might be that, whatever, but usually focused on a particular failure mechanism. And it wasn't clear whether they were, um, what the subject of the testing was or what mechanism they were actually involved in. But they said they set up and des- and and, des- and described a way of doing accelerated testing, which is pretty common. You use three different stress mm-hmm. levels for a particular stress, like a, a low, medium, and high temperature, Right. that all of them should create failures in a reasonable amount of time. And then you get a relationship between the amount of stress, the how high the temperature is, for example, versus the right. time to failure. And then you right. can create a relationship to hopefully... Um, project back to use conditions. Right. Stress level versus when, when it wears out. Or, right. and, and that's what you're looking for, not right. for finding defects, which may actually uh, occur during the accelerated testing. So, yeah, which is a, a problem because then it, it is a problem up because your it, sample size. Right, unless, you do a, right unless you do a, a very detailed, sometimes a decapsulation or something like that to find that, uh, you know, the, the Silicon chip actually had a, a, a poor uh, line width in something. You know, yeah. there's those kind of things. Well, there's all kinds of things that can right. happen. All and, things that can happen. But you just say this is a nominal device that's been around for a while and, and you know. Well, has, I don't I, – yeah, this, but I don't know what they were testing, if it was a component or a material or a whole system. I It right. wasn't in the – and so I'm waiting for a response from that. Right. But the – but typically, the way that test was described, it would be, I have a specific failure mechanism, and I know mm-hmm. that this stress is accelerates it to some, right. you know, it is involved in making it go faster. Right. And so everything was looking good. Right. And in the way they're describing, okay, you're on track. Yeah, well, that's fine. You know, what are you testing kind of thing? Because that's a right. separate question. We'll come back to that. Right. And then it was, yeah. oh, we're also going to uh, apply three different you know, so low, medium, high power and a low, medium, high humidity, or I don't remember exactly what the stresses were, but they were going to do three different stresses, but only have three, you know, set the rest of it look like it was for a single stress. And I'm like, even with two, it gets really complicated trying to figure out you know, what stress is accelerating what. And one of the things that's really difficult is yeah if i add more power to a powered up electronic system for example mm-hmm. it will increase the heat right a lot of times and so that mm-hmm. is now intermingling with with just the temperature one for example right and so what's due to power and what's due to heat or what's right. due to just temperature or do they right. interact and create right. all kinds of other weird right. stuff and we know that certain stresses like for instance, uh, 
vibration and or thermal cycling both accelerate a cracked solder joint. Right. Okay. In slightly different ways, but they both In slightly different ways. Yeah. And that crack will propagate uh, differently or uh, uh, different when at different temperatures. Yep. At a, at a cold temperature, it's probably going to be much more brittle and that vibration. And it's also going to change the frequency of the resonant frequency of the FR4 material, whatever the substrate is, mm-hmm. whatever that it's, it's attached on. to. Yeah. And it might dampen, you get to a higher temperature, it's going to dampen that the right. impact of the vibration. It's going to right. make Soften. it softer. Yeah. Right. So it's it was one of those that it just brought up, well, yeah. that just throws a wrench in the whole thing, you know? And, and I was like, how are you going to relate the three different stress is with, so there's nine different things. And if they're all right. absolutely independent, yeah. you would need nine or 12 uh, sets of conditions to, to run this. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, hmm. like no, let's step, you know, and then I had the thought and it's why I asked, it's like, well, are you testing the whole, like a whole box or a whole subsystem? Say a power supply. I have no idea what it is, but let's say it's a power supply. So there's solder joints, there's components, there's capacitors, right. there's, you know, diodes, there's op amps, there's, you know, uh, CMOS stuff, there's uh, analog stuff, and all the other things that are on a power right. supply. Right, there's uh, especially transformers, heavy components, there's thought, it's it's kind of comprehensive. Yeah, and <laughs> so now on that single power supply, there's probably mm-hmm. three or four different hundred ways it could fail. You know, some are more common than others. <laughs> right. But then right. you add three different stresses, and I bet you it's going to accelerate three different things. Right. That's, that's why we do HALT, right? We, we use right. multiple right. stresses to expose the different failure but we, mechanisms. But in HALT, and this is what my recommendation always is, until you really have a lot of experience with your product and putting it under the stresses, is that you use a single stress at a time. Oh, yeah. And you don't put vibration and thermal cycling together right away. You first find the boundaries of each individual stress, okay? Then you start combining them, and you can start, you know, you can power cycling, vibration, therm- uh, thermal cycling, all at the same time to, after you've found what the power, cy- uh, you know, power. With the individual uh, ones are, or voltage, yeah. Or if you're doing voltage margin, what each individual voltage limit is for function, operation, maybe destruct sometimes. It's not always Depends necessary. Depends on how many samples you have. <laughs> right. Depends on how many samples. And uh, a lot of times you can't destroy it before it quits operating. Right. Um, I mean, it quit operating before you reach a destruct level. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that makes it just, if you add as you just mentioned, if you put two com- a combination of stresses together, you really can have a hard time determining, first of all, which stress really accelerated the mechanism, which was a dominant uh, accelerant mm-hmm. versus a modified uh, maybe temperature and vibration. You know, what was it the vibration was, or thermal cycling? You know, both can crack. That's why once you find this you know, this like cracked solder joint under whatever conditions you have. Um, the first thing to evaluate, what well, was that a nominal solder joint that 
uh, would be produced on the line all the time, or you know, yeah. or a thousand repaired solder joint, which is or you is hope that a you repaired don't solder joint. Somebody hand soldered it. Yeah. Or um, is this something that can be? And is this something that we can easily improve by the pad size, the pad width, something yeah. like that? Not a solder or type design of... before. Yeah, you bought a ten million boards. So anyway, uh, that's the whole idea is keep it simple as we talk about KISS. <laughs> and, and, and keep it simple at first, but then you add more complex things on top of it. And so for this company that wants to accelerate using two accelerating factors. Three, three. Three. Three, yeah. They can't, you know, three levels of accelerating factors without knowing, first of all, well, they could – First of all, knowing the boundaries, the limits of the device under each individual stress gives you the opportunity to increase the stress levels. What they're trying to do is quantify. I think what they're trying to do is form an equation to quantify. And that's even more difficult. And I also feel for most electronics, for the vast majority, 90% of the electronics, knowing how long it's going to last is mostly irrelevant because well, of technological well, back up, yeah, no, and we've talked about that uh, before. No, anyway, Kirk, we'll talk about that, but yeah, no, but, but Kirk I is, well, I don't know. What I don't know is, is it even electronics? We jumped into that just an assumption. Okay. So I don't know. Right. But right. just the, the, the point is, is that we use like in halt, we use multiple stresses to re deliberately to reveal things that individual stresses often don't show or don't show very quickly. Well, and correct. there's all kinds of interactions between stresses Correct. that that's an advantage. So it's that concept that right. says when you start adding different stressors to right. an accelerated test and you're trying to, right. you know, figure out how long is it going to last. And that was the, right. the model they were using. They're trying to create right. an equation for acceleration right. factor. Mm -hmm is that each stress typically has, one, not all stresses accelerate the same failure mechanism. You know, and you have to really know your product or material or system or whatever it is that right. that's the single thing that's going to happen. Right. And, but the likelihood that three different stress levels, and I'm just using power as an example, versus three different right. stress levels and temperature, probably right. create a different acceleration factor. They, mm -hmm. they don't have an equal relationship, you know, one degree increase equals one, you know, week shorter lifetime versus one uh, volt or, or amp higher in power equals right. one week, you know. Now, if you make that assumption, and that's the way the test was designed, is like if you yeah. make the assumption they all will create the exact same acceleration factor, Right. You don't know what you're getting. <laughs> How in the no. world are you going to model you're modifying it when you're adding the other one, right? Yeah. You're so you know it's. This is why you know. This right. is why you don't okay. like statistics. Well, no. If it was a mechanical gearing system, okay, yeah. and they were trying different lubricants at different temperatures, maybe you know they could measure something where they could measure wear or life degradation. You know where they could actually take the gears or the assembly and see how much material has been, they could either weigh it or, you know, uh, actually measure it physically, yeah. uh, with or the even oil analysis. They can or take a look at how much, much particulates, particulates in it. Yeah. In, right. Exactly. 
So that and and we know that you know. But let's a, say you're you're doing a, a, but wear. no, Kirk. Let's say you're doing a gearbox, right? Okay. And you just run it faster, or you cycle right. it, or two different right. ways to stress those. Another one is you put a unbalanced load on it, right? Right, and right. so let's say you run all three of those, right? And all of them could cause failure, right? But the unbalanced loads more likely to destroy the bearings. Right. Right. The temperature or, you know, running it faster will degrade right. the grease quicker. Right. But not necessarily just, then it'll just keep running, you know, right. if you just, if you don't stop it. Right. You know, kind of thing. And eventually the bearings will go and so on. It's, there's. Well, yeah, the viscosity of the, of the grease or whatever changes if it's high temperature. Yeah. And in fact, uh, uh, I'll fall out. You're all, and, and yeah, putting an unbalanced load on is also going to cause more friction and probably heat the gears up. Add more heat, yeah. So it's it accelerated testing in and of itself is doesn't matter what technique or style of accelerants you're using, or if you're using an existing model or trying to create one. You really, really, really have to understand what the failure mechanism is, and understand that the stresses interact with that failure mechanism as soon as you go beyond right. that and i've seen people try to take you know i got six uh prototypes here full systems you know full prototypes and we're going to throw them in uh high, high chambers hot chambers and right and check them every now and then see if they're still working and i says well so <laughs> why are you doing that I know. <laughs> what, what's, oh, I know. and they were going to use that to estimate it's you know how long it'll last and i um you've got thousands of failure mechanisms in there what right. if the, the three right. that fail have completely different right. mechanisms right you know right. and and then two of them fall out because you had poor soldering or or you had you know right manual right. assembly defects which is right right and, Which is what the majority of failures are probably going to come from in the two to five years time frame that this maybe system is being produced. Yeah. Anyway, yes, this. So when you, when you when you get that kind of question, Fred, when you when you hear this, you know we're going to use three different levels with with a bunch of combined with two or more stresses at each level. Do you ask what they're trying to accomplish? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I asked, and, and, and it was clear. It was to find out how long it'll last in the field. Yeah, no, this was it was right up front. <laughs> Their objective was to create an acceleration factor so that they can estimate the how long it'll last in the field, and they and they wanted okay. it to go faster, the right. testing to go faster. Everybody would do that, uh, right? But it's of one of the things I find with accelerated testing is if you can run it at nominal loads at, with, you know, how a customer would use it. Right. Right. Is the best way to estimate how long it's going to last in the field. And even then the lab is often not the same <laughs> as in the field. So you got to, you know, I'm thinking of inkjet printers is it's the fans pulling in all kinds of dust and debris and pet dander and everything else. And exactly. Exactly. You're talking about controlled environment in a chamber at, at very controlled levels versus whatever the end use environment is. And that, certainly there's some that are more uniform than others, but say for any consumer product or any outdoor environmental product, product is used outdoors, those conditions are going to vary widely if it's sold anywhere across, you know, if it's sold nationwide, you know, that that's 
the use conditions and even internally in a house or even how people use it in different. Yeah. And, and if they're next to a coal plant, yeah, if they're next to an ore plant and they got a bunch yeah. of rock dust all over the place or on the coast right. and they got a lot of salt fog. Right. So this is, it's kind of a delusion that I, I see these companies making to think that, okay, they're doing reliability and they're, and they're figuring it out. When I, I always have always taken the orientation that inherently most circuit boards and systems are pretty robust and there's special cases where new technologies come along that you want to find out, you know, the weaknesses. And I think using combined stress environments, and if you want to do three levels, that's fine, is fine. But don't try and don't think that you're really being able to quantify it. And you're not also taking into consideration that the variation in manufacturing is going to be an issue and it probably was going to be leading to, and as it, not only in your manufacturing, but in all your uh, suppliers, suppliers yeah. and in the chain. And most of the failures are going to be assignable causes. I guarantee, I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. <laughs> They're not going to be common cause wear out unless somebody did a poor design. But, you know, there are some mechanical systems, tires, gears, uh, even LEDs may have decay over time. But yeah. some of these lifetimes of the in, in, in lifetime and entitlement of especially semiconductor devices, but even circuit boards and systems is quite long. And you're really going to be shortened. Almost all of those is my experience in uh, 30 years. I've been looking at failures that almost all of those are going to be uh, the vast majority are going to be assignable. Some you can't really find out what the root cause is because yeah. it's they're destroyed. You send them back as you know we talk about with to the supplier, and you know they they don't want to deal with a, a you know a little chip or five chips that have failed. And if you're not a big customer like a Dell or an HP or something, they're well, not. Oh yeah, no, I that's a whole gonna, other podcast there how to yeah, deal with anyway, suppliers when you're so, a small buyer. But yeah, so it, it's, it's quantifying. It's quantifying field life, which has been a a, um, a main uh, challenge for all reliability engineering. And like I said, I sat in a committee that talked about or wanted the BP of manufacturing wanted to know why the reliability predictions were not matching the actual field failures. Yeah, I, that's a good question. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, and nobody could really ask. Well, the they, there is a real answer is that we're using really bogus old data in a, right. on a non-nutsensical right. combination and we create a number. It has nothing right. to do with how the products are used in the field or what its risks are. <laughs> no, but this is a big company. Storage technology doesn't exist anymore. And they had a whole reliability prediction department, which I, as a reliability testing guy, never heard from. They never asked me what fails in the test. They never even, I don't even know if they knew what failed in the field. Yeah. They were using the old data, like 217 or, you know, some whatever. variant of it, yeah. Some, right, FIDs, I don't know. But it, it's nothing to do with what that company's failures were or our company's failure, you know. Yeah, And yeah. so, that, of course, it didn't correlate. Never did. Never did, never and would. Never did. And so, why did they have this department? I don't know. <laughs> it's, you know, because it's, it's reliability engineering beat built on some uh, general belief that you can predict, and at one time you might have been able to accurately, the lifetime of electronic hardware. Well, it and was, yeah, if you... It's not it, possible. It Well, it is 
possible. One, there's well, two ways. There's there's two ways it can work. Weather. No, 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 Kirk. There's year two. From now. There's yeah. absolutely there are two ways it can work. A parts okay. contradiction could be randomly lucky and actually to be very accurate. <laughs> it's very rare. Um, and when I was at Hewlett Packard. When the early days of them getting into the like in the 60s, 70s, yeah, the, and it was all testing measurement yeah. equipment primarily, yeah. they did yeah. detailed failure analysis, they were very okay. vertically integrated. I mean, they even made right. their own screws at one time, yeah. And so they, but they did everything right. that came back and everything they could get back. I mean, these were expensive right. units, so they did the repairs oh, yeah. on them, they did detailed right. failure analysis and kept track of mm -hmm. all that. So they had Good. their products with their components exactly. in their manufacturing, and they had the great failure analysis stuff. And, and they had so all they, control of it. Right. right. They had and so they were able the to be pretty close. But as they started doing uh, more consumer products, they started doing right. more, we're going to replace the whole board versus right. just the component. We're not doing failure analysis. Right. That deteriorated pretty quickly. And then they stopped using it because they then found that it, it wasn't useful. And so the concept works. But it really depends on really good wow. failure analysis and detailed yeah. analysis. Right. And that was the important part of the feedback is, yeah. you know, it's like the stone soup, you know, okay, yeah. get the rock and put it in, you know, after you put all the veg. Yeah, it was a detailed failure analysis and understanding the me physical mechanisms that caused the failure that helped them improve the product. Yeah. Not that they did a parts count or anything like that. And as they say, you know, those predictions, a broken clock is uh, – Correct twice a day. Right. So <laughs> that's so, what I mean. Yeah. 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 They hit a, they hit a number and somebody said, okay, but you know, that was only that week of that year or something. That's because right. it's it's all up and down. Yeah. It? So anyway, back to the, the question we got is we sent back a couple of comments and questions on it. And, <laughs> and I haven't got a response yet. And I and uh, okay. and so it was we'll see how it turns out. But yeah, yeah if you're getting into an a realm that there are some things that we do in reliability engineering that you really need to understand what you're doing and what the assumptions are and is it useful for right. you? Or, mm -hmm. You know, you got to back up. What are you trying to achieve? And here, at least, it seemed you know pretty clear. They wanted to run a test quickly to come up with the expected lifetime of this product, and for whatever reason, whatever system or product or element they were working with. But it, mm -hmm. that's a common task. It's but it's fraught with. If you the further it's fraught with mis, yeah, all misleading. kinds of bad techniques, yeah, all oh, kinds man. of bad things. But it it's it can be done if you're you know lots of d different conditions around it. But the unfortunate part is that I see way too many that are just what? <laughs> Why is that? But anyway, we can talk well, about that another time. Okay, yeah, they, they will get benefit out of this. Okay, if they if even in the testing they do get failures and they do failure analysis and understand what the mechanism is whether they want to quantify the whole thing fine i mean that I, I don't i think that's fraud with can if, if, that's misleading they get really because lucky yeah they're in a controlled environment and the field is not and also they're using a very small sample size and their production if depending on what its volume is going to have quite a bit over the years or months that they're going to produce the product so yeah. you know that's it's just but if they if they get you know do the testing and f find a failure you know they may not know what the main driving force is but they know that they need to improve that strength of that element in the, the design yeah. maybe or design out the failure mechanisms there's all kinds of good stuff that could come from it but in my in, in my estimate is 
you know, from our discussion, I'd say, why don't you take those samples and go do halt testing? <laughs> you know, do that instead. You'd probably get a lot more value out of it. Right. But anyway, um, so the point is, is that, yeah, we get questions. Some, we kind of go, what, what are you trying to do? And others like, well, that's a good question. You know, well, either way, it's a good question, but it's, either way, you know, that's an question. interesting approach. Yeah. Let me think about that. Yeah. You know, kind of think. We understand where they're coming from, whether it's correct or wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, I don't know about correct or wrong, but it's it's more, will this yield the results you're expecting yes. in a meaningful the way? Will this right. give you an answer that's useful or information that's useful? And, you know, so it's, if you've got a, if you're listening to this and you're setting up to run a test of some sort or you're running some activity, and you're not sure, you know, if it, you got all the assumptions covered and know it's going to be useful or not, you know, let us know. Kirk and I will tear it apart and tell you, you know, what to do different. <laughs> <laughs> but, but please do send us over yeah. your comments or questions. One is we can help you, you know, get on track and or confirm that you are on the right track and all that good stuff. That's all good. You got somebody to take another pair of eyes and take a look at it. Right. But also it gives us fodder for a discussion here in the podcast is that I think we're getting close to 875 episodes. I think the next one's going to be that. But uh, yeah, we're chugging along, having a good time talking about a handful of these questions that we get on time to time. And we look forward to hearing from you. Head over to sendoverreliability.com slash go slash SOR. You can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Kirk and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn or our about pages on the site. So Kirk, you going to go break something later today? Uh, well, I, I never intend to, but yes, <laughs> well said, <laughs> <laughs> but something may break on the way anyway. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always an adventure. Life is an adventure and hopefully everybody's having a safe one. That's right. All right. Well, thanks much, Kirk. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Talk to you later, Fred. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.